welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, welcome, Chuck, to Conversations About Life. Thanks so much. Just to um, kind of start off in introducing you, um, I thought I'd kind of tell about when I first met you, which was about 18 or 19 years ago and uh, at Rockport Church. And we had visited the church about a year previously to this. And we came on a Sunday night. There was just a small gathering of people there. And um, Pastor Scott wasn't there that evening. And we accidentally sat on the wrong side. You know how everyone sat on one side of the church. And um, anyway, um, I didn't get into any conversations with anybody. And and we were looking for a church, and we just kind of kept looking. And then, I guess it was about a year later, I thought I would stop back by. And I stopped back, and it was just me and my daughter, Ellie. And um, it was a totally different experience. You came up to me afterwards and were just uh, interested in um, who I was, why I was there. Uh, We started talking. Before long, other people started gathering around. I remember uh, Kurt McClure was there, Richard Sire, Hmm. Dave Philman, probably a couple other guys, you know. Yeah. And we had a conversation and been there ever since. (laughs) Wow. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't know about the first, the year uh, prior to the time when we met. So that's so cool to hear the backstory. Yeah. So um, you um, were going to, um, you were involved with Covenant Seminary at the time. Yeah. And you've gone on to, you know, different levels of education. I looked on your Facebook profile and you um, you have, I think, a, a doctorate in uh, New Testament. And then um, you have uh, a degree in NTHS. I wasn't quite sure what that was. <laughs> you know, I don't know that Facebook had the right category for that degree, but yeah, it was another master's degree in New Testament theology. Okay. Yeah. And what are you doing right now? Right now, I'm working with a ministry full-time called Christian Union, and Christian Union is a ministry that I worked with um, from 2008 to 2013 full-time in a different role. Actually, I've had, this is my third or maybe fourth role with Christian Union. So they've played a a pretty important um, uh, role in my own life. As, as I've benefited from the ministry, being a part of the ministry, things I've learned from the ministry, um, opportunities I've gotten to have there. And then I've also done some pastoring in between some of my stints with Christian Union. So, But right now, I'm the director of Christian Union Day and Night. Day and Night, is that a, a part of Christian Union? That's right. Christian Union has three different um, aspects of the ministry. One's universities, one's cities, and one's national. And day and night is the national uh, part of the ministry. And um, what kind of ministry is it? It's a ministry that's focused on helping American Christians learn how to seek God according to the scriptures with a focus towards national revival. Hmm. So it's a it's an expansive kind of calling and mission, uh, but we feel very passionate about some of the 
things that we've learned ourselves through some experiences we've had, some learnings from church history, from learnings learnings from the scriptures. It's really based on James 4.8, if you want to just uh, boil it all down in a simple way, to this idea, this theological, biblical truth that God draws near to us when we draw near to him as Christians. Um, and for believers, as James was writing to in, in that part of scripture, um, there are things that we can do or not do that impact the presence, the power, and the working of God in our lives. Uh, there's a lot there, but that's the simplest way, I think, to conceive of what and why Christian Union Day and Night is passionate about helping Christians and encouraging them, mobilizing them to seek God, and then with the expectation and hope and prayer that the Lord would pour out His Spirit across our nation. Okay. Um, and and then how does um, the ministry function as far as reaching out to the people of the nation? Yeah, well, a lot of our work is based online uh, because how are you going to reach people from state to state, city to city, all across the nation other than, you know, this common media that we have of of the internet. And so we have a website that's very active and growing. We have social media platforms, Facebook being the biggest one for us. We have emails that we send out. Um, And then we also uh, encourage people and have people join in with periodic initiatives, spiritual initiatives that we'll do. For instance, um, extended fasts and extended days of praying and fasting. Um, That's something that we do on a regular basis. And we do other types of spiritual initiatives that kind of get people mobilized toward this kind of effort. Um, But we also create a lot of material uh, we have a lot of content and we're creating a lot more and are working on online courses and things like that to help educate people about, um, you know, some of these concepts or um, address some of the theological questions that people have. Uh, that has been part of my journey along this whole process is that I, I came from a, a theological perspective um, that emphasized more of God's initiative and God's sovereign choice as to whether, you know, he wants to send revival, quote unquote, to our nation. Um, So it was kind of working through some of those things and thinking more about what role do we play as Christians in God's work? um, And how much, you know, does our role make a difference uh, or not. So we help people think through the theology of it. We learn from the history. Uh, America has one of the richest revival histories of any nation in the world, with the First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening, and others, those two being the biggest ones. And, you know, we've, as we, we've also done a lot of work in the international church, visiting different places where, where God is working in regions and nations, not just communities or churches, places like Uganda, places like Fiji Islands. And what's interesting is that a lot of these places have learned from our history, our church history in America, especially high times when people of God sought God in extraordinary united prayer, as Jonathan Edwards put it, and they've, they've applied it better than we have. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, learning from all these different uh, sources, um, the scriptures being the basis, of course, 
but taking all these things and putting them out there for American Christians to mull over, think about, read over, consider. Um, so we create all these kinds of content and want to do a lot more in that way to just to help educate people and, and help them think through it. So as director, um, what's your day-to-day type of activity mainly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we keep, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working in, I live in Illinois right now, <laughs> and uh, most of our my colleagues work um, more up and down the East Coast, uh, although we do have people all, all around the nation. So um, so I interact some with Zoom calls. In fact, um, one of the things we do as a ministry uh, that ties right into everything that I was just saying is we spend the first two hours of every day in the scriptures and in prayer. And so from 9 to 11 Eastern time, I'm on a Zoom call, and we're praying, and we're going over, you know, just different passages of scriptures together, and um, and so doing that, seeking God's face. And then, for the rest of the day, working day, uh, it'll be a variety of things, um, yeah, creating content, writing articles. Right now, I'm working on an article that's, um, uh, I mean, I'm working on several things at a time, but one of the biggest ones I'm working on right now is about the businessman's revival of 1857 and 1858. Started in New York City, just an amazing, amazing story uh, of of a work of God that was kind of like one of the Great Awakenings. It just wasn't as long as uh, the First and Second Great Awakening. But um, so, you know, I work on creating content. Um, you know, we do work with different teams uh, within Christian Union, so... Uh, I, and I'm really, uh, even though I'm the director, I'm, I'm also the only other full-time staff member uh, for, for day and night. So I have to do a lot of other things like, you know, writing emails, uh, answering the emails, um, keeping our website updated, our social media platforms updated as best as possible at this point. Um, so I kind of do some, you know, some IT stuff, some, some fundraising stuff even, some uh, content creation, some envisioning. Right now we're working on our, our five-year strategic plan. We're five years old, and so we're, we're kind of transitioning into the next five years and thinking through, you know, how God would have us to continue the work. So it's, it's uh, I, I wear multiple hats right now. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it's mainly focused, like you're trying to reach out to people who are already um, Christians. Yeah. And... I guess, and what you're wanting to see is something like uh, one of the historic revivals of our past. That's right. So it would be, um, I guess, just God moving, bringing people into the church and people being fervent, you know, for God and for his ways and seeking him and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. There are a couple of things um, that we think about, you know, one is, uh, something that we talk about called a seeking God lifestyle. And so it's the day-to-day kind of grind, kind of normalcy of just living a faithful life um, to God. And and many Christians have great churches that they're a part of, like Rockport Baptist Church, that are preaching the scriptures and calling people to, to holiness and to following Christ as Lord and repenting of our sins on a regular basis and obeying him and being a person of prayer and all those sorts of things that, that really just are kind of normal part and parcel of the Christian life and teaching. But unfortunately, you know, there's been a downgrade in American Christianity 
um, across the board. Of course, there are many exceptions, many great churches, many great ministries across the land. But in general, uh, you know, statistics and surveys and all kinds of things bear out the downgrade of American Christianity. And so we're a supplemental kind of ministry for Christians who don't have a great church that they're a part of with um, great teaching and challenge and encouragement to stay faithful to Christ. We're, we're there for that kind of thing. So we teach a, a seeking God lifestyle, which emphasizes seven different principles of what it looks like to live a life day in and day out of seeking after God. And then, as I mentioned, we do, we'll do fasts or different other kinds of more kind of push um, types of events or initiatives. Um, it, there's somewhat kind of like um, uh, Jonathan Edwards' call. I, I referenced it quickly earlier. He wrote a book uh, called, um, well, I mean, the short kind of title is A Humble Attempt to Promote United Prayer, United Extraordinary Prayer. I'll summarize it in that way. And the reason he did this is actually because there were ministers in Scotland who were starting to encourage their people to pray together on a weekly basis and a monthly basis specifically for outpouring of God's Spirit, for revival of the church and advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ beyond the walls of the church or beyond the people of the church um, to call in more believers. And so, as I mentioned in history, there have been these times where Christians start to kind of realize, hey, It just seems like we're kind of in a wintry season spiritually. It just seems like the church isn't growing the way it should be. It doesn't seem like we're seeing, you know, God's power working as we should see. It doesn't seem like we're seeing as many people added to the faith as we should be seeing. Something's kind of amiss. We seem like we need to be renewed in our fervor. We need to be more zealous in our witness. We need to be more faithful in prayer. We need to be more serious about um, rooting sit out of our lives and and following Christ. Um, so, you know, it sometimes takes a little bit of you know resetting the direction for Christians to kind of say, okay, let's start to have time period of times where we make this the focus of our prayers. Lord, revive us again. Give us that first love again. Give us that focus again on you and help us, you know, to really um, basically be doing everything we already should be doing, but we just, we need a a restart. We need, um, you know, our batteries kind of jump started and and get going again. So um, those are some of the things that, that we do to try to help, you know, move toward this kind of um, outlook, you know, broadly in the church. Um, so you spend two hours a day with your group that's a part of this and just, um, looking over scripture and and prayer together through zoom. So that's like quite a bit of time. Um, so what is that like? Is that, um, are those, does it seem like you're like kind of laboring and working uh, like a chore or Mm. is it um you know rewarding or Mm -hmm. you know what's it it can be yeah that's a great question it can be some of both for sure Mm -hmm. and i think you actually see both in the scriptures um you know i think sometimes paul talks about epaphras in uh at the end of um Colossians, I think it is, where he says that Epaphras is laboring for you in prayer, and he works in prayer 
that you might all stand fully matured in your faith. And so Paul equates prayer sometimes with labor and with work. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's not always uh, the most enjoyable thing to do. If it were, you know, probably we'd all be great, you know, <laughs> at being faithful to it. But uh, sometimes it is hard work. Sometimes our flesh doesn't want to do it. Yeah, Jesus uh, took the, the the disciples with him to pray, the three, and he said, can't you even just pray for an hour? You know, to the Lord, it was like, hey, I'm just asking for an hour. I'm not asking for you to pray all night long with me. Just one hour. Can't you pray? But the flesh is weak, you know, even though the spirit might be willing. So there is a, a battle, you know, that, that takes place um, to say, okay, we're committing until 11 a.m., we are committing to seek the Lord with all of our heart, you know, during this time. And it takes kind of refocusing, you know, okay, I'm going to stay focused. I want to get the most out of this time. I want to, you know, not just be hypocritical and, and, and be here on this Zoom call, but actually the Lord knows my heart isn't in it. You know, so it does take some some effort. Um by God's grace, he gives us the help to, to be able to do that. But then there's the joy that comes out of it as well. You know, sometimes you see that in the scriptures, that just to be in the presence of God is better than anywhere else, just one moment in his presence, better than a thousand days anywhere else. And so you do have those moments, you know, when we're praying together and, and you know, just the prayers of somebody else just really resonate with you or, or people, you know, the, the spirit kind of moves, starts to really move people's hearts. And there's a, there's a faith that starts to come and a, and a zeal that starts to come, you know, and that just, there's nothing like it, you know, there's nothing that really uh, satisfies your soul or, or energizes your soul. Like, like those times sometimes, you know, I mean, um, and every time, you know, we open up a passage of scripture, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, okay, I've heard this scripture taught on, I've heard this devotional, you know, 40 times, but if you're humble and if you ask for the Spirit's illumination, it's just, wow, you know, it just, it's like the scriptures say that the Lord, that the, the word restores your soul. It enlightens your eyes. It just, it does so much to... Uh, renew us and revive us every time if if we come before him humbly in it. Um, And if I could just turn back the clock a little bit too, to when I started with Christian Union in 2008, this all started to change this pattern of praying two hours every day in 2009 in the spring. We used to, Christian Union just used to pray one hour a week as like the faculty or the staff together. Hmm. And that was Wednesdays noon to one. And that was the prayer time. Well, our, our CEO, our founder, Matt Bennett, um, was convinced. He said, hey, if we want to see a real work of God at these schools, we were at, at Princeton University and Harvard University at the time, so very secular places, not kind of friendly Christian places. We need the power of God, and, and we're doing a good job, guys, of, of making a little progress. But if we want to see lots of students reach these campuses, it's going to take nothing less than a work of God. So we just, he said, we got to start praying two hours every day. And um, and that was an abrupt shift. I mean, going from so little to so much, that was probably harder. Now I'm a little bit more used to it. But at the at the beginning, it was really hard to get used to. But talk about the joy of it or the rewards of it. Um, Not only in those moments where there's great moments of prayer, but uh, six months after that happened, things did start to dramatically shift on campus with the ministry. And even a few months before that, in my own life, even though, you know, we talked about I've been in ministry and I've been in in graduate schools and seminaries for a while, um, 
and I always consider myself, you know, uh, faithful to the Lord, but my relationship with the Lord went to a place it's never gone to before. Once Mm -hmm. I, uh, after about three months or so of that, two hours a, a day prayer, I was even wanting to pray at night. I just felt like there was a whole new vista that was opened up in my relationship with God that I had never experienced before. And, uh, and then that started to kind of roll out, not just for me or, you know, my colleagues, but across the students and, and things just started to snowball in an, in an awesome way on campus. And we started seeing our Bible studies um, just fill up to capacity, like within three weeks of the school year, we started seeing students coming to faith instead of by maybe three or four each year. 10 students came to faith that year. The next year, 20 students came to faith. The next year after that, 30 students came to faith. And I could go on to tell lots of stories about just amazing life change that happened and ripple effects across campus. But from that point on, it was like, okay, I know that I believed in, you know, revivals in the past, but it's like, wow, um, I, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to encourage, you know, Christians to, um, to press into. I think there's so much more that the Lord is willing to do if we, um, you know, meet his conditions. So, um, on one hand, you know, like extended times in prayer makes sense if it's a, um, means of fellowship with God, because it is a relationship with God where we, we want to um, focus on God and hear from Him and so forth. On the other hand, it's a, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I'm not saying it's not right. I'm just saying um, it's almost like begging God to do something you would think God already wants to do, you know, as yeah. far as revival and so forth. Like if we prayed long enough or just got enough people to pray, then eventually God would um, move or do something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Does does that make sense to you? Oh, uh, that's exactly, those are exactly some of the same questions that I wrestled with, you know, kind of more like, those are more like theological questions. What, what's God, what is God, what is God like and what's our, how does he relate to us? And how do our prayers and uh, the collection of them, the fervency of them, how do they make a difference or not <laughs> to God fulfilling his promises? And I mean, there's so much there, but there are a couple of places that really helped me um, with that in, in scripture. So one is Luke 11, 5 through 13. Uh, and this story is just incredible on, on so many levels. Uh, it's a story that Jesus tells about prayer where he says, he gives the analogy first of a friend going to his friend at midnight, and the the, the, the one friend had a, a visitor come that he wasn't expecting. So he goes to his neighbor and he asks for some bread. Hey, I got to you know feed this guy. He just came on a long journey. He hasn't eaten. And the neighbor who's being asked for the bread says, sorry, you know, I'm already asleep. We're kind of settled in here. You know, can't help you right now. And Jesus says, he says, I tell you the truth, though... This man will not up he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he asks. And I tell you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. And so the point that Jesus is making is 
as he's as the Lord and Savior is teaching about prayer, the emphasis at that part of the story is don't expect for the Father to get up and give you something because of your relationship with him. In this story, because of because he's his friend. The the relationship isn't at what's at issue at this point in the story. Jesus comes around and he says something more amazing about God's relationship to, to us in verses 12 and 13 of that passage. But at this point in the story, he's saying, what matters, what's going to get the answer is, will you keep asking? And will you keep asking impudently? That's, that's not very nicely sometimes. Of Jesus himself, it was said in Hebrews 6 that he was heard because of his loud cries and tears. That's why the father answered Jesus when he prayed, because he prayed with loud cries and tears. And so there is something to the father's heart that is moved and drawn by the way that we pray. Um, And then on the other side of that, at the end of Luke 11, that passage, uh, Luke 11, 13, Jesus says, but the father that you're asking, he is far better, far more generous, far more willing and desirous to give you every good thing. Um, and he says, so, you know, even we, even the best fathers on earth, they're evil compared to God, right? He's such an incredible father, so gracious, so generous. But he says, how much more will the f- father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So just because God has made a promise that he will give us our daily bread, we're still supposed to pray in the Lord's prayer, Father, give me today my daily bread. Even though the Lord's promised through the blood of Jesus that he's forgiving us our sins, we're still supposed to pray, Lord, forgive me my sins as I also forgive those who sin against me. And so the Lord puts promises out there but he also wants us to ask. And what Jesus is teaching in that Luke 11, 5 to 13 passages, the Father's promised the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the guarantee. It's the down payment. It's yours. And, and it's, we already know that we're, we have received the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian unless you receive the Holy Spirit. But there's also this dynamic that the disciples experienced that they were filled over and over at different times with the Spirit and powerful things that they couldn't do on their own, that God did through them because of that filling again and again and again, just as Paul teaches us in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit as he's speaking to Christians. So our prayers aren't the only thing. Like you can pray in a way that's selfish and the Lord, you know, the Father isn't going to necessarily answer that prayer. You can pray and then your whole life can be out of step with God in terms of, you know, just living a completely sinful life or whatever. So obviously we know there are other things the scriptures teaches us, other kind of boundaries, other guidance about how God responds to prayer. But like I said, it's a bigger, it's a bigger um, subject than we, I can really get into here. But that's just one example of a passage of scripture that has helped me to um, think about what is God like? Um, how, how does he respond to our prayers? 
the fervency of them. How much does that matter? The number of people praying, how much does that matter? It seems like, you know, there are stories in scriptures where it does seem to matter. And other times where it just takes a few, you know, sometimes it's praying a lot that the Lord's calling us to do. And you got to keep praying. You got to be like that, that widow and just keep going back and keep going back. That's Luke 18, where it goes to the unjust judge. She goes to the unjust judge. And then there are other times where it's just like, you ask once and the mountains moved. So which is it, Lord? So, you know, the Bible will, there's a lot there. It's a complex um, guide for what God's like in our life and our relationship with him. And um, God's a free agent. He can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And But he's also laid out a lot of principles and promises that he wants us to generally walk in. And um, so anyway, that's those are some, uh, I guess, uh, ideas to think about uh, that question without maybe being, uh, being able to answer every jot and tittle of it. Sure. So besides the time that you're praying together with the group, do you have um, your own prayer discipline just b- by yourself, and, and what's that yeah. like? Yeah, I. One of the things, one of the reasons why we're called Christian Union Day and Night is um, based on that Luke eighteen passage about prayer. The widow comes so often, and Jesus says, "And will not, uh, um, you know, God give justice to those who who cry out to Him to to His elect?" Actually who cried to him day and night. And you've got Psalm 1 talking about those who meditate on the scriptures day and night. And so many other passages, <clears throat> excuse me, in the scriptures that mention that. And it was actually um, the practice of early Christians to ha- to have set times in the morning and the evening to pray. It actually relates back to the daily sacrifices that were in the temple. And so um, just kind of as we think today about like Muslims having set times of prayer, Christians used, early Christians used to have that same kind of pattern. And I don't think um, that it's, you know, mandated in scripture. It's not that clear that everybody ought to do it, but it's sure a wonderful way to be able to keep the fire burning in our love for God and to stay close to him and all that sort of stuff. If we bookend our days, you know, in the morning sometime and it toward the end of the day sometime to to read his word to renew our hearts and minds to pray and worship him so that being said yeah i i have the two hours in the morning with my colleagues and then uh time at night as well to be able to read and pray and usually that time isn't as long unless it's a kind of a um a more like a, a certain season of seeking god where i'll spend more time um and certainly you know there's the idea of praying without stopping you know i i often find myself just you know writing an email lord you know help me to know give me the right words to say or whatever it is so we can certainly keep that fellowship with god going throughout the day but in terms of having kind of set times where you pull away and be with the lord and or uh be with other christians you know i think sometimes we we often think about okay if i want to spend more time praying it's got to be by myself i think you know generally uh, prayer was more of a social thing um, in the scriptures and things like that with other believers. So it doesn't have to just be, you know, have more quiet time. It can be, you know, join other brothers and sisters in prayer. Well, you mentioned uh, seven principles. So besides prayer, anything, uh, what else would you say is um, involved in seeking God? Yeah, sure. So the first one we talk about is humility. 
And we link fasting together with humility just because the scriptures, it seems like the primary benefit to, to, to fasting is to cultivate humility within us. It's not the only way, of course, but um, uh, so we talk about that as principle number one. Second one is, is prayer. The third one is scripture. Uh, the fourth one is repentance. And um, repentance in, in terms of um, it's kind of daily cleansing our hearts and lives and thoughts um, from, you know, letting sin get built up. Sometimes we can kind of allow sin to be there and we just, we kind of uh, don't uh, diligently root it out of our hearts and minds as quickly as we should. So kind of keeping short accounts of our sins, just saying, hey, let's do the best that we can. We all know that we will sin. That's not an issue, but um, repenting of that and repenting of things in our past too. You know, one of the things that I didn't really appreciate uh, for a uh, a good deal of time in my Christian life was the importance and the helpfulness of repenting of all things in my past, but even before I was a Christian, just kind of going through. And there's some helpful resources of books and guides that can kind of help uh, walk you through different areas that you can um, repent over. And then obedience, which is kind of the flip side of repentance. We don't want to just constantly be repenting, but not really seeking to change our hearts and attitudes so that we're, you know, more and more walking in step with God in those areas where we struggle. Um, We talk about the importance of gathering together with other Christians um, and gathering other Christians to seek the Lord. Jonathan Edwards used Zechariah 8. 20 to 23 in that uh, humble attempt book that I mentioned as the most, he saw that as the most descriptive passage in the scriptures about revival, because it's a passage that talks about where these Jews who were the people of God in the old covenant, these Jews were going to seek God and they were energetic about going to seek the Lord. And then they also said, it says in that passage that they would tell other people they're going to seek the Lord. And 10 other people from the other nations would say, I want to go with you because God's with you and God's where you are. I want to be with God. So um, we see that as an important part. It's not just about, hey, making sure I'm living a quote unquote pious life, but it's it's also about encouraging other Christians and even other non-Christians through evangelism to um, seek God as well. And then the final uh, uh, principle is just perseverance. You know, um, living this kind of life for a lot of Christians, um, having the discipline to um, fast on a regular basis, to have the discipline to um, spend time seeking God morning and night every day um, through scripture and prayer. You know, this is, um, again, although it's not, unusual for the scriptures, it can be kind of unusual for a Christian life today. Oftentimes, if I do hear pastors or or Christian leaders talking about having daily devotions, say, it's usually, hey, you should spend 15 minutes um, or so, you know, quieting yourself before God or something like that. And I understand not most people can't take two hours from nine to 11 every day and, and drop everything and pray. Like, you know, I'm a vocational Christian minister. It's easier for me. So I understand you might need to sort of stair step your way up, but at the same time, it does it seems like that for 15 minutes a day is sort of like, if you're doing that, you're, you're good. Whereas I think if we compare it to the scriptures, a more robust, um, uh, lifestyle, I think is, is more, um, you know, corresponds more to the scriptures. And, um, and so having perseverance in this calling is necessary because, you know, to, to 
ramp up your life to have a, a more robust life and walk with God, it might be something people feel like, I just can't do that. Maybe I could do it for a week. Maybe I could do it for 21 days or, or a month or something, but I couldn't do that day in and day out for the rest of my life. And so it's just this reminder, this seventh principle of seeking God is it takes perseverance in our lives to um, to really live this out and not just to see it kind of be a flash in the pan kind of experience. So when it comes to doing this with other Christians, um, is it more of um, like in the, the formal church structure, or is it more of um, just gathering a few people into your home or, um, you know, uh, small groups or you know, informal structures of just Christians? Or do you, what do you see and um, what seems to be an effective way to really share life with other Christians, do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've i been, like I said, I've been a pastor as well of a, a local church on two different occasions uh, as far as like a senior pastor position. And so I've been trying to figure this out too. And um, it seems from my experience so far, I'm just 42, is that the more informal seems to be more successful, you might say, in, in really living this out. It's just so hard to, as a church, to have a more organized um, setup where everybody can be a part of it at the same time, at the same place. It was easier. I, I really, I'm jealous of that first church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts because Acts 2.42, they were always together. They were right there in the same town. They went to the temple together as the place to pray at those times of prayer. And they were, you know, they were also in their homes, but it was just so much easier to kind of say, hey, we're all going to the temple. Here's this huge public outdoor structure that can hold all of us and we go pray and, and Peter can preach or whoever. And, um, but now, you know, in, unless you live in a, maybe a, a very <laughs> small town, like uh, something akin to what Jerusalem was like back then, most of us don't live in that kind of setting. And it's just so hard to replicate that. And I've tried to replicate it in different ways, even using Zoom and different things like that. And it, so far, it just I haven't seen it work on an organized level as well. But um, I have seen it work more where just an individual like like yourself, you just say, hey, I want to start to try to do more of this. And so I've um, done this myself, and I know other people who just kind of set up different schedules for their week, different different days where they pray with different people. And it's kind of like, you know, on Monday morning before work, I call up my friend from college, and we, you know, share for a few minutes, and we pray uh, for the, the rest of the time. Or... Um, Sunday nights, uh, we get our extended family on um, Skype or something and, and uh, just kind of all come together and let's pray together. Um, and so each person kind of having their own kind of thing where they have a combination of probably private individual prayer, family devotions, if you're in a nuclear family living together is obviously an easy way to do it. Um, but if you're single or something like that, or you're more remote, it's like, okay, having some Christian friends over from church, or maybe, maybe I know people who've done it at work, you know, and find other Christians at work. Hey, let's pray before work or after work, um, or a lunch break, you know? So I think it takes informality and takes, takes a little bit of creativity and effort too, but 
it's really it's really cool when that starts to happen because you kind of see all these other people kind of catch fire with it too and their lives start to get um you know encouraged and built up and then you start to see god's work in their lives this just kind of sparks a thought that i've had before um when it comes to gathering together with other Christians, that we tend to um, gather with people based on them believing the same way that we believe. Um, whereas I wonder if it would be better for us to gather more in based on geography. Like if you're at work with Christians at work, if you're in your neighborhood with those who are near you, um, because I don't know of... Um, if you know we're really um, instructed to um, seek out those who believe in just the way that we do, for example, um, I think Paul in around in their Romans, you know, where he's talking about um, uh, living with brothers who and sisters who think differently on some things, but to accommodate them and to realize that they. Um, you know, you're not their judge, but they'll stand before God to give an account. And um, so we, um, and it could be more challenging to us to meet with people who have um, differences in their uh, doctrine and so forth, because we have to kind of consider, um, well, are, is what we're believing the right thing, whereas otherwise um, we just assume that it is. And also it causes us to um, consider, well, what are the essentials that bind us together? Um, but rather we tend to drive however far we need to in order to find people who are a lot like us. And I think it's less challenging to us and as far as, and maybe not as much opportunity for us to grow um, because of it and so forth. Do you have any thoughts yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 a quote comes to mind from a uh, documentary that I've seen many times on the national revival that took place in Uganda in uh, the late 90s and 2000, early 2000. Um, and this, it was um, an archbishop, I believe, of the Church of England who had a quote that said something like, yes, you will see me at Pentecostal prayer meetings wherever there are God's people praying in Jesus' name, you know, I will be there praying as well. And I think it goes to show that it doesn't mean that any one of us have to put aside our own individual theological convictions or ecclesiological convictions, that you have to stop becoming a Baptist or a Presbyterian or an Anglican or whatever it might be, but that we recognize that those things can't divide us. Um, that we are one body in Christ. All those who have repented of their sins and confess Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And, uh, certainly there are so many other aspects. Like I said before, the Bible is a complex book. You know, we all have different views on different things and, and um, that's okay. But when it comes to seeking if I go back to Edwards one more time, the two things that he was trying to rally people together to pray for were, number one, the revival of Christianity and the advancement of God's kingdom on the earth. And I think everyone who bows the knee to Jesus Christ can agree on those two things. We may not agree on you know finer points of eschatology and God's sovereignty and human responsibility and all those different um, 
perspectives. But we can certainly agree on those two things. And if we can agree on those two things, then we should be able to pray together for those things. And um, But then I think it's still fine, you know, on, you know, you can still be a part of your local church that's your own you know, brand of theology that you're comfortable with and that you, you know, that you're, you're convinced of, that's totally fine. But I think you're right that we should also have times where, hey, we can't always be with our local church. We can be with other believers and we should be with other believers. It's in fact, this unity of the body that is part of what could lead to revival. It's what Jesus said, like when the world sees how much we love each other, then they'll know that we're Christians and that the Father sent him to be the Savior of the world. So that unity of itself is not only, I think, a good thing to help us pray together, but it's actually a vital thing um, to see, you know, the, the Lord's gospel go forth in an even stronger way. Um. Well, you've um, been through a lot of higher education and all of that and a lot of um, experiences and so forth. How has your relationship with God um, changed over the years? Is it different hmm. after, you know, all the education and everything? Um, what is it, um, you know, how you see God and how you relate to Him? Um, how have you... How has that changed, or has there been any ways you've grown yeah, in, yeah. in that? Well, I'm thankful for all the different experiences that I got to have, and I didn't you know, set out to try to get so much education or anything else like that. I, I, I definitely um, you know, sought opportunities that came along and prayed you know, for the Lord to guide me, and he opened up the door, so I'm just thankful for the different opportunities. And I would say that for the first, um, you know, 10 to 15 years of my life uh, as a Christian, I related to God mostly through intellect, through um, thought, through learning different things about him, about the scriptures, which obviously uh, is super important. You know, we can't have a, a faith that's built on uh, just our own ideas. And um, so I don't say that any kind of way to diminish um, that. But I do feel that there was a, an aspect that was lacking in my life with God um, during that time, and that was more of a relational uh, love with God. Um, I would say, you know, I knew God before. I would say I loved God before, but just not as deeply, you know, as as I felt like after I began, after I really got pushed into this two hours of praying every day and really started being kind of pressed more and challenged more in some of those practices that, um, that my relationship with God just opened up, as I said earlier, just to a whole new level. You know, I, I feel like I remember praying one night up in in my bedroom, um, and um, this was maybe four months, five months into the two hours of prayer every day. And I said, I, I mentioned, I, I just started to pray more on my own as well. I just had this kind of appetite to know God more. And I also had a sense of like, um, you know, a sense of lack in my own life, I realized, so So there was a big realization verse for me from the scriptures during this period that was 1 Corinthians 4.20, where, where Paul says, um, uh, 
the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And I just kind of realized, oh my goodness, if Paul was evaluating my ministry, I feel like, I don't know if I would pass that test. I feel like my, my ministry was mainly about talking, about learning how to, learning the right doctrine and trying the best I could to explain it. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Paul also went, and when he preached, he reasoned, you know, and he explained from the scriptures, and he sought to persuade people with his words. So it's not that that's all bad, but if that's all you have, it is bad. You also have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, we didn't just come proclaiming this, um, but we came in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. And I started to look at my life in a new way and my ministry in a new way. And it's like, where is, where's the power of the Holy Spirit? And it's not that I didn't have anything to show for it, but when I put the two together and I balanced them out, the talk weighed out the power of the Spirit by a vast amount. And so I just started being like, oh, Lord, I need, I need a PhD in the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in my ministry. So I just started really going into that. So all that to say, where I got going down that track was I remembered, you know, I was praying one night in my bedroom, and I finally, you know, I remember coming downstairs, I talked to Karen, and I said, I feel like now I really know what people say when they're like, prayer is a two-way conversation. You know, I always sought to be open to hear from God, and I always heard from him through his word, which is an amazing gift that no one would ever want to downplay. But at the same time, to be able to have to know this the shepherd's voice um, directly, um, I think is something we ought to expect and something I hadn't experienced much. And then finally, you know, I felt like I was beginning to, I was beginning to experience that myself. And so I'd say from that moment on, more of the, the, the personal relationship with God. Again, I've always emphasized a personal relationship with God, but in terms of not always and only directly through his word, but also directly with him, you know, never in a way that's contrary to the word or anything like that, nothing weird or funny. Um, But then the other part is, yeah, it's effect on my ministry to not, I think before I used to think about ministry, I just want to be faithful to preach the word of God. And that is an accomplishment in and of itself. I wouldn't, again, want to downplay it. But where's the, can I see the power of the Holy Spirit in my ministry? And that's one of my biggest prayers is, Lord, I want to be able to, you know, not just for my account, but because this is really what you've told us. You've given us the spirit to empower us to be witnesses. And so there ought to be the power of the Holy Spirit evidenced in my ministry or otherwise I've got to call it into question and say, what's wrong? Is it me or, you know, what is it? So those are some of the ways that my, um, that my ministry or that my life, you know, and my relationship with God, I think have, um, changed over the years. And I I hope, you know, I'll continue to continue to be more conformed to the way that he would have me to, you know, be and do in the years ahead. Well, that's neat. Um, I've, you know, I've thought about like, how is it that we relate to God? Is there something more than I, what I'm experiencing? Because I do want my relationship with God not to be just intellectual. I want there to be, like when I re- relate to another person as you, 
you know, I'm experiencing you, uh, where there's a connection, we're interacting. Um, it's not just knowing about you, like if I was reading about you in a book. So I want my relationship with God to be like that, to be experienced. Um, and yet, and sometimes I think, well, am I wanting, you know, maybe what I have now is just the way it's supposed to be at this point, you know? Um, but, um, I was just reading in John about how Jesus said, um, it's good for me to go away because then I'll send the advocate. So it, it seems like there was something better than just being, mm. you know, in the physical presence of Jesus, having, yeah. you know, God's spirit with yeah. us. Yeah. I, that was another, this aspect that you're talking about. Am, am I kind of where I should be? Is, is it good? Or is there something more I should be seeking or expecting? Um, and, uh, that was that was a, an idea that I wrestled with a lot too um, as I began this journey, and um, and I'd say one of the ideas that has has stuck with me as I think about that is just uh, a few passages that um, that make this promise or this offer of more grace that God wants to give more grace. Um, yeah, that's the James four. That's probably verse you know four or five of the. James 4, 1 through 10 passage was has really another like core key passage. I mentioned Luke 11 was one. Uh, James 4, 1 to, 4 uh, 1 to 10 is another one. And and other places, you know, Romans 5, 1, um, that we stand in a place of grace and we have access to grace. So we already, I mean, we're adopted. We are chosen. We're loved. We, like, there's just nothing Almost nothing more you could ask the Father to do for us than all the spiritual blessings we already have in him. And yet, it's like the Father says, I'm giving you access to more grace. And um, and so there is, I think, this desire uh, to come closer, to, to draw near, to experience more. And obviously, we all go through different seasons in our lives. I think we know that experientially. We know that from the Bible and books like Job and, and so on, that... You know, it's not all roses and sunshine, um, and uh, and and we don't always just go from like good to great to better. <laughs> um, there are difficult times and, and moments in our lives, and even longer seasons. Um, but I do, I do think in general, you know, there is more for the Lord um, for us to experience in Him, and. Um, and uh, so that's that's been my experience so far. Um, yeah. Well, um, what about like other kind of routines of your life that are not a part of these spiritual disciplines? Are there other, um, for example, um, like if you're really devoting a lot of your time to seeking the Lord, um, what about other kind of things that seem important? Um, yeah. Do you just let those drop away, or do they still kind of get uh, find a place in there? Mm. Um, and I'm just talking about you know. So there's some things like there's kind of work responsibilities and family responsibilities, yeah. and then there's some things like well, working out and just things that make yeah. a person feel good and stuff like sure, that. Sure, sure. Um, so do you have problems with that, yeah. you know, going to, when you made that shift? Yeah, I, I have had to, 
adjust some aspects of my life, which that can be a hard thing. Uh, I remember, again, when going back to the original part of the journey of, in my life, 2008, 2009 with Christian Union, um, you know, maybe six months to a year into that, I kind of became confronted with the fact that I needed to um, uh, kind of cut back on, on exercise. I, I, I always, I'm kind of, a, I'm a competitive person. I grew up with two brothers. I love playing sports. I love, you know, I always had to do kind of something. And I was running a lot at the time, long distance running. And as much as it like pained me, I just felt like, you know, I had these goals kind of in my mind, certain races I wanted to run, certain times I wanted to hit, all this sort of stuff. And I just, I was just like, I just can't do it. It's either like, I felt like it came down for me at least in that moment, just for me. I'm not just saying this for everybody because I think a lot of it, this depends upon your own stage in life. But for me at that time with young kids, all this sort of stuff, I just felt like, you know, I just got to put running to the side. So I just pretty much stopped running, you know, maybe a cup except for like one or two times a week, whereas I was running, you know, five to six times a week before. And, um, but you know, I just felt like as much as I hated my flesh hated to do it, it's like, I knew that's what I needed to do at that time. And, um, but you know, I, I, I'm back to exercising on a regular basis now. And so it's not like a, an, all or nothing kind of thing. It depends, like I said, on your stage of life. And so if you've got, like, I know you've got a big family and I've got an active family right now. And sometimes there are seasons where in my life, like throughout the year, like in uh, January, I really didn't get to do much um, exercise at all because we were, well, we were doing a 21 day fast with Christian Union day and night. So I was not eating during the day. I ate a meal at night. Um, but, you know, and I was trying to spend extra prayer at night. And so it's just kind of like, okay, you know, hey, I can, I can dedicate 21 days to the Lord. Why, why couldn't I, you know? And Jesus tells us, when you do these things, the Father who sees you in secret, he'll reward you. So don't even worry about, like, I'm giving something up. You're going to get more back later in some form or fashion, you know, however the Lord does that. And um, so, so I do think that it takes... You know, living a surrendered life, having all parts of your life surrendered. Now, obviously, we have, you know, we've got to provide for our family. You know, we need to be faithful with our work, all that sort of stuff. But it might mean you have to trim your life um, from certain hobbies or maybe not hanging out with friends as much or maybe cutting back on, you know, movie watching or TV series watching or, um, you know, uh, little things like that. But, hey, we do it for other things that we care about. And so, you know, why not do it for the Lord? It's, it's, um, I think that the reason sometimes why we don't do it is just our flesh is too strong and, uh, it was that we don't do it or we don't really think that it'll matter. We don't really think that the Lord will bless us, draw closer to us, reward us spiritually, um, when we do. But, um, another passage, Hebrews eleven six, is maybe the, one of the biggest, uh, verses that, that I've learned through this whole process. It says, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's what faith is. You have to believe that God rewards you when you seek him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I'd like to ask you about just what you're relating to outsiders is like those outside the faith I recently joined, well, not real recently, it was before, before, just before the pandemic, joined a meetup group of men in the area. And it was really good. 
uh, from meeting other people, getting myself outside of my own circles. And it's um, the type of group where there's a lot of conversation about like life and things that really matter. So I'm sharing with them uh, just freely, you know, what's important to me. I'm sharing with them about the Christian faith, and they're sharing Uh um, with me about what their life is about, whatever that might be. You know, it's a lot of different things from uh, different men. Um, But it seems like it doesn't go much beyond that. Like, I would really like it if... um, I think it would be great if someone heard the Christian message as I kind of explained it to them and were just compelled by it and was just wanting to know more and so forth. But people mm-hmm. patiently listen and um and I listen to them and you know, and then we go on with, you know, our the relationship and conversation and so forth. But um for you, um do you have a lot of interaction with those outside the faith? And if so, um, what is it? What is it like? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say my life has a clear before and after point in the recent past, and that is that uh, for the last two years, t- 2018 to 2020, I was living in New York City in Midtown Manhattan, so I was around non-Christians all the time. <laughs> mm. Wow! And um, did a variety of uh, like sort of street preaching, you might say. Uh, Sometimes we would go out uh, to the subways and preach on the subways. (laughs) Sometimes we would just go to like Central Park and and offer to pray for people and things like that. And then other times just kind of more relational evangelism as you're talking about trying to just get to know people and, and, you know, build trust and and share my life and and listen and learn and love them. Um, And you know, um, I guess you don't always know where those seeds go that that uh, you're sowing in those different contexts. <laughs> but I can't say that I know of any people that were genuinely, you know, saved, converted, turned to Christ through all those efforts. Um, and here in Illinois, it's a very different place. Uh, most of my interaction with nonbelievers um, probably comes through being a, a dad of, you know, four kids and being at their sporting events and different stuff like that. Um, and we've just been here for a few short months. And so um, there's probably not a lot to say there yet, other than I would say, um, I've heard people kind of remark just about certain things about, you know, my family or, or me as a dad or things like that, that seem to kind of point to the Lord in some way or another, even though it's not uh, direct witness of the gospel. But, um, you know, I guess what I think about all of these different experiences over the last three years in relating to non-Christians is that um, it's it's been difficult. It's been kind of frustrating that, um, you know, just people don't seem interested <laughs> in following Christ, um, at least not the way, you know, that he calls us to to deny ourselves completely and take up our cross and follow him. You know, people might be interested say, oh, that's, you know, but not ready to just leave everything and follow him. Um, But the parts, the times in my life where I had the most um, success with evangelism, seeing the most amount of people coming to the Lord was at Princeton. As I mentioned, those three or four years after we started seeking the Lord. And I think about it in just in terms of, 
the it was the power of the spirit and that was what made the difference and it's like well how come i'm not experiencing as much of the power of the spirit in my evangelism now as i was then i i may, i i don't know and i don't know if i can ever know for sure um, apart from god's you know speaking it but what i would guess is that because of the collection of people that that were seeking god together with me that there was more of the Spirit's power working in and amongst us. Kind of like if you would imagine, you know, if Peter himself would have just been waiting in prayer before the day of Pentecost versus what happened when Peter and all the disciples were waiting for the Spirit and praying and seeking the Lord for the day of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit comes on the group rather than just on a person. And the impact is just so much greater. And so... Again, I'm, I'm not trying to beat a beat a dead horse. Maybe here with this emphasis that uh, that I've been making throughout this conversation on seeking God and all of that sort of thing, um, but it's, I guess that's what my experience has borne out. If if you were asking yeah. me about that question, um, So, um, I guess kind of probably wrapping up um, pretty soon, but um, mm-hmm. um, I guess just a, a couple more things or one more thing. You know, how, how is it that you would like to grow? Anything come to mind when you just think of upcoming years? Um, any particular way that you would like to grow as a person, or as a Christian? Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely, I want to grow just to keep that, um, that first love for God, that just real hunger and, and not, cause even though we have, I, I, I emphasize, you know, the seeking God lifestyle and stuff, I've definitely had, you know, periods where it's been more of a grind, more of the hard work of, you know, keeping the discipline. And I think that's necessary. You know, I I wouldn't want, I I don't think it's biblical to say otherwise that it's all, you know, happy-go-lucky and it's easy and it's not taking up your cross. So that's a part of it. But I also always want it to come from, you know, just a place of just, you know, love and um, love for God, love to obey him, love to serve other people in his name, love to make him known, you know, to others. So just that, that's, that's something that I just, I, I don't think any of us get over and we always need cultivation and renewal in that. So I always want to keep that. Um, other areas, I, I, I feel like, you know, I want to get, um, I, 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 I want to get better at, at loving people and like showing compassion to people even you know jesus was so amazing at being moved by compassion and reaching out to people in the lord's you know in 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 according to the father's you know call for him and um and you know sometimes i just feel myself like with if it's if i feel comfortable if i know the other person or something like that i feel that freedom and comfort to do that to reach out with the lord's compassion but and there are rare exceptions, but in general, towards others, I, I think, you know, I get more concerned. Maybe it's a fear of man, maybe whatever it is. Um, I I don't reach out 
in the way that, that I'd like to, you know, so just even more compassion and, and compassion that leads to action with people and not letting any kind of barrier socially or otherwise, um, prevent me from doing that. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, one of my kind of life goals since I've been married and that I would always want to keep is just to be, you know, a godly father and husband and one day grandfather, Lord willing. And to, and what I mean by that is not, you know, not just setting an example or something like, but just, you know, really loving my family, really shepherding them well in the Lord and toward the Lord and, and having a great relationship with them just personally as well. Um, so those are, those are a few of the ones that come top of mind. You know, um, Paul mentioned a thorn in the flesh. Is there anything in, in your life that um, you wouldn't have chose, but it's just a part of your life that you've, perhaps God has used that for good, um, Anything in particular like that, and that comes to mind? I think, I think I can. I struggle with being content. I get discontent. I get. I think it's it's partially like lust, like want, like I, I want to do something more, or I want to accomplish something more, or I want to go, you know, do this thing, or I want to do that thing, or um, ambition, you know. Um, and sometimes it's directed at good things. Like I, I want, you know, more of the Lord. I want more of his power. Well, you know, in, in, in my ministry, you know, whatever. I want more people to come to faith. Or, But sometimes it can be misdirected, you know, at things that aren't glorifying to God or good for me or whatever. So, or even even the things that I do have good ambition for, sometimes that can create a discontent that I don't think of the Lord too, you know. So I think... I just kind of feel like, I don't know if this is normal or not for people, but I just kind of feel like I'm almost always like thinking about what's next. What, what, how can I best use, you know, my time for the rest of the day? How can I best, you know, how can I, you know, maximize and take advantage and get kind of everything out of every day or, you know, the year or uh, whatever. So I think that's good because it's a good driver for the kingdom, but I think it obviously can also be bad. Okay. Well, how can people, you know, uh, be connected to your ministry um, and be encouraged by it and, you know, receive what, whatever you all have to yeah. give through it? Yeah, the best thing would be to sign up at dayandnight.org. Dayandnight.org is our website. You can uh, just sign up to be on our email list so that you can stay attuned to what we're doing. Um, And so that would be the number one thing. And that way you'll know, okay, when are we kind of doing our next kind of spiritual initiative? Or, you know, how can I take advantage of the resources that you guys have or whatever else? So um, that would be the biggest thing is to get on the email list and become a part. And obviously anybody can just reach out to me directly to chuck.hetzler at christianunion.org. So, um, yeah, uh, it'd be great to... uh, have more people linking arms and setting our face to the, to the Lord. And I know we're who those of us who are walking with Christ are doing that in a variety of ways. But if, uh, if anyone feels led to partner with day and night, that'd be wonderful. 
All right. Well, thanks, Chuck. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much, Will. Great to see you. Good to see you too. Okay. Mm-hmm.